Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Hello, my name is DeAndre. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety birthday is May the 29th, 1991. And my sponsor is Jimmy Moss, and I'm a member of the No Nonsense Group. Thanks for having me. I'm here. Made it all the way to Orange County. I don't spend a lot of time in Orange County, but uh, I'm here at this meeting. I want to thank my friends for coming to hear me talk, and uh, welcome to the new people, those that stayed after the break and uh, those that didn't. Uh, it's really good to be sober. I'm really grateful to be here. I just got off the phone with one of the people that I sponsor uh, who lives on the other side of the country, and we're talking about uh, our relationships with each other and the people we're trying to help and all the stuff that goes along with that. And uh, it's really an honor and a privilege to do anything in Alcoholics Anonymous, especially to show up sober. Uh, I know a lot of my friends have trouble with that. And uh, I've been sober since my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous so far. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Watts. Uh, I guess that's right outside of Orange County, and uh, <laughs> we, uh, I lived over there for a long, long time. I lived in a housing project uh, for about 14 and a half years, and uh, lived there with my mother and all uh, six of her children, and I grew up in a neighborhood where this disease uh, is sort of worshipped. And uh, there's a lot of maintenance uh, to keep uh, it going. And uh, I loved it. I loved it. I like being able to wake up early in the morning and <clears throat> help my mother clean up uh, these parties that she used to have. Uh, my, Marty, my mother uh, is like Mardi Gras every night at my mother's house. And uh, I loved, uh, I loved, uh, my mother always made alcohol look fun. You know, and I just remember, you know, joining right in, uh, like everybody else. And that turned into uh, a fatal obsession uh, long before I realized it. And I didn't recognize that until I had gotten sober and started taking, you know, the steps and did an inventory and could clearly see that my, my drinking, even in the beginning, was no mere habit. Uh, and I... Uh, I just remember getting the ease and comfort at once uh, when I would take a first drink. And I've never had one drink in my life. I don't know what that means. Uh, but the first drink that I drank, uh, I felt uh, what the big book describes for a guy like me. And uh, I, I, I just remember sort of, you know, getting into an adversarial attitude about my drinking uh, very early on. Uh, if anybody was going to get in the way of that, uh, there was going to be a problem. Uh, and even though I was the problem, it's still a problem. Uh, because I didn't want to stop once I started. And there were other party favors along with that. And I know I'm in an AA meeting and I don't want to get into any outside issue. But, you know, uh, alcohol ceased to be a luxury. And it got real necessary for me to drink uh, as time went on. And... Uh, I just wound up being a really uh, crazy person uh, in between uh, drinking. And if I got in a situation where I had to go somewhere or be somewhere or, you know, do something, uh, I, I felt better having a little drinky poo before I went on down there. And that worked until, of course, uh, like most of us here, I stopped showing up. I would make plan to go somewhere after a drink, and for some reason, I would forget where I was going, or I would say, what the hell, I don't need to go anyway. And the reason why that started becoming a real serious issue is because it started affecting other people. And um, what happened was, uh, I, I got really, really interested in a lot of different things when I was younger, and uh, at one point, I was going to be a California Highway Patrolman. 
Uh, I was really interested in that. I was in the, uh, I think I was in the 10th, 11th, going into the 11th grade in high school, and I had told myself that that was going to be my, you know, profession. Uh, my brother had gone into the military for several years, and I got this idea that, you know, maybe, you know, law enforcement is the way to go. Problem with law enforcement, uh, however, is uh, you're not allowed to be uh, loaded off your ass when you apply for uh, these positions. And I never could get sober enough to, you know, really give it my best shot as to try to be a CHP officer. I always wound up loaded, so that I, that went away, and um, I didn't want to be a policeman anymore. I thought policemen were stupid. Uh, and I think that had a lot to do with my drinking and the way I was behaving and the trouble. I was getting into trouble. I I remember when I first got sober, I had three jaywalking tickets when I got here because I had wound up living on 5th and San Julian, uh, Skid Row. And I started selling me, my brother's clothing, and anything I could get my hands on to get loaded. My disease progressed very fast. And I went running right after it uh, behind this obsession that controls my life. And I don't know that alcoholism is running the show. I think that I'm doing it because I'm the talker. I'm making all these decisions. And I don't realize that this disease has power in it. And so when I'm down on Skid Row and I'm, and I'm, and I'm hustling and trying to come up, uh, uh, for some reason I always you know, pretty much stay down. And uh, my mother would rather not have me over at the house by this time. She had started locking me out. Uh, and instead of me thinking to myself, you know, wow, I better really change what I'm doing. Uh, I make misery uh, more acceptable in my head and in my life. So I started figuring if I can't get into the house, I need to learn how to live on the street. And that's what I did. And I loved living on the street. I don't have anything against it. Uh, when I'm using and drinking and getting drunk. But sober, uh, in recovery, I'm not very fond of that. Uh, but uh, I grew accustomed to living on the street. I, I thought it was uh, pretty cool. Uh, we didn't really call it being homeless. We called it camping. And what we would do is just hang out. And uh, during the day, we would sleep. And at night, we would come out. And... Uh, I just remember my friends, because, you know, I had a couple of people that I pushed carts with. We used to push carts around and collect, like, aluminum cans and stuff. And I would just remember having a fellowship uh, and really nurturing uh, our situation. And as a human being, I've never really had a problem gathering human beings to kind of nurture a situation, whatever it is. So uh, when I got to this program by way of a rehabilitation center called Warm Springs, it wasn't really hard for me to seek social acceptance because that's how I roll anyway. You know, um, the only time that I really don't like being uh, around other people is when I'm about to really, really get something that I really, really want and I don't want to share it. But other than that, I'll manipulate and rub shoulder and vacillate between folk. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I'm not going to have anything on this planet other than a human experience if I be human anyway. So um, I, I wind up getting into that rehab, and I wind up listening to these panel people. They come up, and they talk like I'm doing now and tell their story about uh, – because I thought – uh, when someone said tell your story, I thought they meant, you know, tell us how long you drank and how you bathed in alcohol and, you know, did all that. And what I'm learning in Alcoholics Anonymous is when we say tell your story, we're talking about your experience, strength, and hope. We're not talking about a drunkalog. You know, the only thing that a drunkalog can do for me is start fooling with my head and make me get a little thirsty. Uh, I got here a self-made failure. I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of, and I was pretty much a dead man talking. And I had done those things to myself by way of letting this obsession run my life. 
And I'm in this rehab and I'm listening to all these panel people and I'm trying to figure out, you know, like why, why is it such a big deal if you can control it? And now that I've been sober for a week or so, uh, I clearly see where I went wrong and I have a handle on this thing. And I have no idea that I've been hearing myself say that for years. You know, my doctor's opinion in the big book tells me that I emerged from a spree remorseful with the firm resolution never to do it again. And I repeat that over and over again. But every time I do that, I don't know that that's what I'm doing. And uh, that that is a clear indication that I have this malady, this sickness, you know. So I go to the rehab and I follow along to the best of my willingness and I wind up leaving there and I move to a town called Lancaster, California. And I go to a little place called the Open Door Fellowship Hall of Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's where I met my original sponsor and his name was Dennis. You know, and Dennis Lee uh, met up with me at a noon meeting. I got out of that rehab in the morning and I went to that noon meeting and uh we talked and he changed and saved my life forever. You know, he was an old white guy from Florida. I was a young loudmouth from Watts. Uh, we did not see each other and run across the room like in the Daisy Field. Uh, we were oil and water. Uh, he was not trying to be my friend. He told me if I wanted a friend to go buy a puppy. And, uh, and he was kind of hard to deal with. I did not like his attitude. I thought he was arrogant, rude, and uh, he liked this stuff too much. And what I found out through working with this man is that he knew more about that big book uh, than I did, and he would read it with me, and we would do these little assignments together, and he made me buy a dictionary because he said I didn't know half the stuff I was talking about. And, uh, and I went and got that book, and, uh, and I went and got, uh, I went and got, um, involved with that group. And he told me to do stuff, and I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it didn't make any sense. I thought it was for old people. I thought it was for people who weren't me, and I wasn't like him, and I would do it anyway. And I don't know why, I believe that that has something to do with God. Uh, because there was, there was, there was so many chances that I had where I could just say, you know what, screw this stuff, I'm out of here. And every time I would get those thoughts, some strange, uh, I don't know if it was a power or a force, it was, it was something other than me that would just, uh, continuously have me cooperate. You know, and I just started showing up at those meetings that he told me to go to. My sponsor, uh, did not believe in a lot of gypsy sobriety. He told me when I was going to go and where, and I knew uh, that that wasn't a very popular way to do it. A lot of my friends used to crap, talk crap about that, and you know most of those men and women are not sober. I'm coming up on my 20th birthday, you know, um, and I just remember like really wanting to be a part of the in crowd in this anonymous program, and I wanted to be hip slick and sick and. You know, and just do, you know, uh, that sort of dog and pony show sobriety, you know, where it seemed like they weren't really doing any of the work or making any of the amends or doing any of these prayers and stuff the way he had me doing. And I was jealous of seeing some of these guys and gals just flying around here. It was sort of like trapeze work, you know, just doing everything. And then one of them would like flip off the trampoline metaphorically and die, see, and they go get loaded and they die. And, and they would die, and then I would be going to him going, oh, so-and-so died. And he'd say, yeah, because they weren't getting their disease treated. And I thought that treatment for alcoholism meant going to meetings and agreeing with AA people. I did not know that the treatment of this disease lies within the work, uh, uh, the action of the steps and, and, and doing what the steps say to do. And uh, what happened for me is uh, I just started following along and cooperating and going with him and doing what he said. And uh, I didn't like it all the time. You know, uh, nowadays in AA, it seemed like, you know, if you don't like it, then you ain't got to do it, so screw it. And uh, I don't know what that kind of sobriety looks like as far as me implementing that. I, I'm not a, I just don't believe in that kind of recovery. 
If I don't like it, if it doesn't feel good to me, then I don't cooperate and I don't take direction. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not into that. And uh, I had to learn uh, that you can tell an alcoholic, but you can't tell him much. You know, and my mother used to tell me when I was a little kid that a hard head makes a soft ass. And I believe that this disease is very powerful. And the longer I stay sober, the more power that I see with this sickness and how it does people. You know, I had a friend who I really respected uh, with 26 years of sobriety. His name was Steve B. And we all loved Steve at our group. He was a pillar in the group, and he had a long-term sober, and he was taking guys to meetings and all this stuff. And what happened is he got more involved in something else than in this, and the next thing you know, he got drunk. And this happened a couple of years ago, and it really showed me that, you know, pedestals are made for books and statues. You know, that the highest rank in AA is sober. And uh, I, I thought when I was newer than I am now that the highest rank in this program was comfort. You know, and, and, and what a fool. You know, what a fool I was, you know. Uh, I, I know that uh, a lot of times my higher power exhibits his, he, he presents himself more when I'm in pain than when he does, you know, when I'm laying around, you know, thinking about self. And uh, I just love Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, if you're new to this program, it can be, you know, the most annoying part of this program is the people in it. But once you get that, once you get through some of that and you get to the steps, you know, you'll realize that you're being weighed down uh, by something that's very magnificent. You know, and I'm just really grateful that there were men and women in this program that weren't too comfortable to help me with my discomfort. You know, that were willing to walk me through those prayers and, and, and those amends that I needed to make and paying back that money and stuff and getting down to that courthouse and taking care of those warrants. You know, there were men and women in these rooms that were showing me in the big book on how we're supposed to do this stuff and what we can uh, help another alcoholic with. And uh, I'm forever grateful. You know, I just uh, was in New York about two months ago speaking at the Atlantic Group, where one of the girl that I sponsor goes there and spending time with all those people. And uh, the group is really huge. There's a lot of people in there. But one of the things I noticed about that group is they were, you know, doing the work. You could, When you pull up to the, to the meeting and you, you walk up, and there's little gatherings of two people, like, reading the book with each other and reading that information and, and trying to keep this thing alive. You know, and that's what I'm really interested in. Yes, I have problems, and none of your business if you're not in my life. Uh, this program works, you know. There's an answer here if you're new. Because my head tells me, you know what, I really don't need this stuff. All I need is a break. And once I get a break, I'll be fine. I need to, you know, I need to stress. I need to, you know what I need to do? I need to go get a job. If I get a job, if I start working and get a job and go back to school, then I'm going to be fine. And I'm here to share that having a job and being in school is not a cure for this disease. Those are fine things to benefit your life. They benefit my life when I am my part of it. But those things don't take away this obsession that tells me uh, how to get B and stay loaded. You know, and uh, I just remember uh, walking through this pain with this guy about some of the stuff I was doing while I was sober. And I don't remember him telling me, you know what, eventually you're going to get to a point where all this stuff's going to be easy and all you got to do is just chill. He never told me that, ever. But my friends who never stayed here said things like that. That mythological aspect of Alcoholics Anonymous in which once you get everything you want, then you don't have to worry about anything anybody else needs. You know, it's crazy, and I don't believe that that's altruism, and that's not how I live, uh, and, and I'm really grateful that I got taught this stuff, you know, and uh, I used to live in uh, Lancaster, like I said, for 12 years, and then I moved to Simi Valley, which in some aspects seems like the sister city of Orange County is very similar there, and uh, I lived there, and uh it was awesome, you know. I had a, I lived there for six months, and I used to go to this meeting hall called Unity Hall, 
and uh, there were some some old guys in there helped me and stuff, and and it was really good. And I would leave the meeting and get pulled over by the police, and they would check my car and make sure that I was you know doing what I was supposed to be doing, which is fine. I think everybody eventually has to go through that. And then I drive two blocks and get pulled over again. And uh same thing would happen and this and that. So eventually I did what my sponsor, I followed sponsor direction and I moved again and uh I've been uh, living in uh Glendale for the past several years. I live in Glendale, uh right outside of Burbank, and I love that little town. It's very small, uh little, you know, town and uh very quiet, right next next to Griffith Park, you know, with the little animals and stuff. Snow, I'm, I feel like I'm snow black, you know, I see the squirrels running by and all of that. And I'm not from that. That's not where I'm from. I'm from helicopters and hell, you know, and that's, you know, I, I'm, uh, what I'm sharing is that I've changed. And what, what happened for me is you people. What happened for me was Alcoholics Anonymous. Not 19 years ago, today. So I got up this morning and I said those prayers. You know, and I started talking to the people that choose to call me sponsor. You know, and, uh, I get irritated with stuff and, and, and I, and I pray again. You know, and I heard the speaker last night, or actually he was just sharing in this little book study we go to, and he was talking about, um, you know, selfishness, and it really surprised me. There's a part in the book where it says, Above everything else, we must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. You know, and more and more today, I was talking on the phone and I was telling John on the way over here, that, that part in the book has, has eluded me. I, I, I know it was there, but I didn't get the depth and weight of it, uh, for a while until I heard what that man said last night. So basically the way our co-founder wrote that is like, uh, before uh, all of the, the, the Zoom Zooms and the Wham Whams and the relationship, before all of the things that I think that are so important, uh, uh, above all of that, I must be rid of this selfishness. You know, and so that's why I don't believe in a lot of job of the HUD sobriety. I do boots on the ground recovery. You know, now I can come off looking like I'm pretty young, but I'm an older guy and I still don't believe the lie that all I got to do is worry about self-supply. You know, that's not how it works. And uh, when he said that, it just really started ringing in my head. You know, it's like above everything that I think that is so important, I must be rid of this selfishness. And then it talks about how God makes that possible. You know, and there's no way for me to really get rid of self without his aid. You know, and I'm just really grateful that in spite of where I think I want to be or whatever, that I keep my commitment and I show up for Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and I just, I love, I love this place. You know, I, people don't love it like I do. See, I've accepted that today. People do not love this stuff the way I do it. Does that make me a pompous ass? I guess. I don't know. But 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 people don't love this the way I do, and uh, that's beautiful, you know. I don't care, you know. That sign says we care, you know, and uh, they're not talking about people who don't care. And uh, part of the reason why I come and share in a general way because just maybe somebody may fool around and get 19 years sober around here, and maybe they'll be able to help another man or woman walk through their fear. Because that's what I believe he did for me when I got here. You know, and uh, I'm just really grateful that I'm not sitting around in a room somewhere wondering when I'm going to get mine with almost 20 years of sobriety. In other words, I've been served and saved here, you know, on a daily. And uh, it's really hard to remember that sometimes because don't you know, you know, I still got this lust. And it's not sexual all the time. A lot of it is just money, property, and prestige. I want as many toys as I think you got. And what I'm finding out in Alcoholics Anonymous is people who operate like that are a miserable lot. You know, worrying about what somebody else always got. I, I, I don't need to be doing that. And I go to my sponsor and I talk to him about the things that I think other people have got that I ain't getting. And all he does is smile at me and he says, keep serving this program. Keep serving this fellowship. Don't worry about that stuff. 
you know. And that's one of the really sick things about living in those projects. And my friend Steve here can attest to it, you know, when we live in that environment, it's like the most unhealthiest, craziest guy in the community riding around in the biggest, baddest, most blood money uh, uh, brought about vehicle is the guy that we're worshiping and looking at and trying to emulate. I got different types of heroes today in my life. You know, I got men and women in my life who've walked through cancer, uh, unborn children that should have been born, uh, staying sober and working the steps. They told us this story one time when I was in a meeting about this guy that's doing life in prison with 25 years uh, clean and sober, working the 12 steps. You know, uh, you know, just this, 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 there's a power in this program that uh, far exceeds, you know, this ego trip that I get into about what I think I need. And uh, I'm just really glad, you know, if you're a newcomer, um, this is some of the most miserable stuff that you're ever going to feel at the beginning of. I mean, it's worse than a bad... Uh, I don't know. I, well, I can't say that because when I drank Jack Daniels, it did taste nasty, but I really like the effect, you know. And that's kind of how AA is, you know. Uh, the big book talks about a successful consummation. Like, how do you successfully consume this stuff? And there's men and women around here that will help you, you know. And uh, I thought this was the stupidest thing I'd ever met and seen in my life, man. It looked like the... Uh, I call it a trailer park manager convention up there in Lancaster. It just seemed like these people were just sort of like hillbilly, you know, hillbilly heaven. And uh, <laughs> But one thing I noticed, they, you know, when they knew that there was a new man or woman there, they surrounded them and tried to find out what they needed. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't deny that. I saw that. You know, and I saw guys coming in there that didn't have a watch, or a way to go, or no food, or nothing. And I saw guys coming there. They didn't turn it into a, like a social program or a welfare office, but you know they really tried to help these people. And I really thought that that was pretty cool, you know. And uh, I don't know. They asked me to be the chairman of the Thanksgiving dinner at my home group, and uh, I didn't want to do it. My sponsor manipulated the situation. Uh, but I wound up getting that commitment and, uh, and then I did it for a couple of years and they tried to replace me and I wouldn't let them. You know, that's the kind of stuff that happens in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I remember them telling me that I had to be the secretary of the Saturday noon meeting at my home group. The meeting after the dance the night before, I thought that was the most miserable racism. <laughs> and, uh, and I told him that. And, you know, uh, once again, you know, it came time to replace me, and I didn't want to give up the commitment. You know, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I used to go down to my home group an hour before the noon meeting and kill flies because I didn't have a job and I wasn't going to school, and my sponsor told me that I needed to figure out a way to be of service. And one of the most annoying aspects of the uh, open door during that year, during that time, was the heat and the flies. So I would go down there and I would become, you know, I made my own commitment, fly killer. <laughs> and uh, and I just killed flies and, and, and yelled at people when they would leave the damn door open. You know, and, and, and the next thing you know, I'm committed to something inside of Alcoholics Anonymous besides myself. You know, and, and, and I'm getting rid of this selfishness. You know, God is helping me because it's going to kill me. You know, if I if I if I gotta constantly be the topic of discussion, we're having the wrong conversation. And uh, and I've learned that today in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, so if you're new, man, uh, I mean, like when we look at the big book, and Bill Wilson is like, you know, trying to uh, figure out what he's gonna do after this light and stuff done came and all of this stuff happened to him. And he hops up out of that bed and he gets a little, you know, time sober instead of, you know, running and trying to, you know, uh, do the selfish things that we can do. You know, he went to that administration in that hospital and asked about other alcoholics. You know, this program was founded on one alcoholic uh, sharing with another experience, strength and hope that he or she may recover. 
And I went to New York, like I said, and I visited the last house that Bill Wilson lived in. And there's this old guy walking around there helping people that looked just like my original sponsor, explaining some of the history. And one of the things that he talks about on the 4th of July, when you see all these fireworks and stuff, uh, we in AA can go ahead and uh, take a deep breath and be grateful for Bill D. That's the day that he left the hospital, alcoholic number three. And that's what those fireworks are really about. You know, and I thought that was pretty cool, you know. I think I'll add that to my share and not tell anybody where I learned it from. <laughs> but uh, I see. But it's true, man. It's like, you know, what a great thing, man. What a great thing for my mother to be proud of. Not me, but you. You guys. See? And it's just really weird. Like, I called my mother before, and I was complaining about a bill or something. And the first words out of her mouth is, you still going to those meetings, right? And I say, yes. And she said, good, I'll talk to you later. See, my mother has more respect for Alcoholics Anonymous than she's do me. You know, and I'm really grateful that, you know, uh, this program is founded on uh, these principles that, you know, don't have to die. You know, I can be a part of the maintenance team of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it really is very simple. I don't have to be a bleeding deacon, you know. But what I can do is look at my own experience with this program and see that you guys have been helping me ever since I got here. That since that first meeting, my life has been saved and changed. You know, that I have no business uh, really talking bad about this place. That when somebody says we want you to come and speak, my response should be when and where, not how and why. And... uh I'm just that kind of a guy. You know, they, they used to say there were go-to guys in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's men around here. You just go up to them and tell them what AA needs, and they just go, you know, what's up? What do I got to do? And I'm involved in a home group that's very similar to that, and a lot of my friends don't have a whole lot of time sober. You know, but yes is a running theme in our group, particularly when folk are leaving talking about no. Uh, that's when we really get to show how we really grow. And uh, I'm just grateful that I, that's stuff that I know. I've experienced that. I see it. And I want to be a part of that. You know, in the big book, it also talks about we get to a place where we start craving a certain type of fellowship. Like we get the fellowship that we crave. You know, and a lot of times, I don't know what my cravings are, you know, I'm crazy. <laughs> I want some chicken. Next thing you know, I'm eating barbecue ribs. I don't know. But when it comes to Alcoholics Anonymous, I really do crave the solution. And I remember being out there, like, really wanting to really stop, but not really knowing how. Plus, all my friends kept getting loaded, so I said, what's the use? I might as well get loaded, too. <laughs> and I don't know how to really stop. And in AA, it's like, you know, I was in with the in crowd. I used to be one of those dance promoters for AA and all of that stuff. But what happened is I started feeling empty while sober. And I wasn't working the steps. And I was running around, you know, doing all this party time AA. And, and, and my friend Steve Lamb calls it activity. Those aren't the actions. You know, the actions are like saying those prayers and finding out who I owe amends to based on an inventory that me and my sponsor read together, and I see these defects that i got to ask my higher power to remove from me. Those are the actions. You know, but my ego says, no, we got to, you know, uh, let's party, you know. And if you're new and you're coming to AA and you're still talking about where to party at, um, you miss, you're, you're missing an opportunity. And that's not to say that we don't have fun, but that was not the first thing on my mind when I got here. Okay, now that I'm here, now that I've sold all my clothes, now that I'm a homeless tramp and a bum, uh, uh, where the party at? You know, that's just not what I was doing. And, uh, you know, today in Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm more concerned about these new people finding a real answer. Because I believe that my nephew is going to have to come here if he doesn't get killed first. And I want him to find here what you men and women showed me when I got here. You know, and I do not 
you know, share against dances and bean pie sale AA. But a lot of that stuff, you know, it just doesn't work for me. The depth and weight that the doctor is talking about in his opinion in the book just doesn't seem like that kind of stuff for me. And I had to go through some of that stuff in order to recognize that that wasn't the truth that I needed. And I'm just glad that my sponsor so hung in there with me and let me kind of go through that phase. But it was really, it made me crazy because, you know, you go to these little events and stuff and people be all coupled up and you're not. And the next thing you know, you think you deserve something that you are not going to get at the end of the night. And all of a sudden it feels like I'm back in that, I'm back in that world. That I'm no longer in AA. I got to, I got to use those survival skills to do what I always did. You know, and that's why, I, that's not my gig today. I'm not, and I don't try to make my, my sponsees want to do that stuff. You know, I, I don't say nothing, you know, until they ask me. And, uh, and then when they ask me, I let them have it. Um, and I let them know that, uh, you know what? Social acceptance does not equal recovery. Being able to be the Bella of the bar or a fake superstar is not where we are. This society is based on, you know, people really being really sick and trying to get well. You know, and I thought that this was about, you know, <laughs> that book, you know, win, win friends in high places or some stuff. That, this is not like self-help. You know, and my sponsor, you know, the one that I have now today, Jimmy, um, he's really not interested in a lot of the things that I think uh, that are so important when it comes to feeding my ego. You know, and one of the things that I love about him is that, you know, when I ask, he tells me exactly what I need to hear. And if I don't ask him, he ain't going to say nothing. You know, I have to be the one to speak up for myself honestly. And when you get some time around here uh, past how good you feel about getting everything you want, because now that you're sober, you're happy or whatever, there, come, there came a time in my sobriety around 10 years sober where I started realizing that I know how to make myself feel good, you know. But I still had to recognize that that was not a cure for alcoholism, you know. And that's one of the uh, frightful things that I see. So just this wave of, you know, good feeling, you know. How do I feel good? What What's going to make me feel good, you know. And all that good feeling stuff, to me personally, turns into lust. Now, I'm not sharing gloom and doom. I'm just saying that I start making my happiness a self-determined objective. You know, and what happens is um, I don't care about other people all that much. And for some reason, above everything, you know, my selfishness must be fed. You know, and I just don't want those kind of things running in my head. So I'm trying to you know, grapple with that man said, grapple with what that man said last night. And it's like, you know, I, I really believe that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of all my troubles. You know, and I really believe that on a lot of days I can be driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, you know, and the like. And so uh, I'm still begging for, uh, you know, I need help here. You know, I need help in Alcoholics Anonymous because this thing works. You know, and uh, part of the insanity of leaving Simi Valley and coming to Glendale and being in that community and watching all these people just be real, like, soft-spoken, there's not a lot of loud. I think I am the loudest person in my neighborhood because <laughs> don't, you don't really hear a lot. You know, everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. It's like everybody's on quaaludes or something. And, you know, I don't, I, I just, I, I was just like, you know, what a what a neat place to be, you know. And I'm just trying to influence new people into believing that it doesn't start out like that. You know, it doesn't start out with 19 years sober. The way you get 19 years sober is you got to stay sober for 19 years, you know. But I thought that if you measure an old-timer's ego the right way, then you're just as smart as they are and all of that stuff. And uh, what I've learned is that experience is a hidden legacy of Alcoholics Anonymous. I need that experience. I was reading with somebody, I can't remember if it was Steve or, I think it was Andre, where it says that we lack that humility in that experience. We lack it, you know, and I do. 
You know, there's some friends that I have, you know, a couple of guys that I know with 30 plus years sober, you know, and I lack the humility and the experience that that, those gentlemen have. And I'm here to share that I'm interested in, 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 in getting to that place. You know, and, uh, I couldn't say that when I was newer than I am now. I didn't care about these folks. I was like, who wants to live and die here? And then that is me. You know, I don't want to go back. I'll spend the rest of my time talking about that. I don't ever want to go back to that stuff. Running around blaming my mother for stuff that I ain't even talked to her about. Because, you know, I got this head noise telling me that she's doing this and I'm supposed to be doing that. And I don't want, I don't want to live like that no more. I don't, I haven't had an argument with my mother in uh, over 10 years. I don't, I don't argue with my mother. Uh, nine times out of ten, I'm right anyway. There's no need to argue. Uh, and the other percent, you know, she wins every once in a while, I guess. I don't know, but I don't, I don't argue with her. Um, I, I remember hating my brother when I got sober. My brother works for the federal government. Uh, he was an evil and corroding thread woven through the fabric of my existence. And through the amends, and through a change in my behavior, I don't even really know if he's changed all that much or not. And I'm learning that it's really not any of my business. And I don't hate my only brother today. You know, I love him and the way he's trying to raise those kids in this world. You know, and uh, I learned all this stuff from you people. You know, I don't want to go back because, uh, you know, uh, this job that I have where I should have been fired. You know, I'm going on eight years on this job. You know, I never could. How do you keep a job past one pay period? You know, I never knew how to do it. It's just like once you know that they owe you a certain amount of money for working that week, it's like I got to get the hell. I got some drinking to do, you know, and I would start trouble to get my check early so I could just leave with that money that I so diligently, you know, kept track of, you know. And today I'm staying a couple of minutes extra to clean up. I work with autistic children, uh, ABA therapy. And, you know, every once in a while it's time to go, but we shouldn't be leaving. There's some stuff that we've left out, the toys and stuff. And, you know, I, I clean that up off the clock. And it's not because I want somebody to go, wow, he's awesome, party! You know, I'm doing that stuff because I'm grateful. I'm grateful for those people allowing me to work there. And I learned that from you people. This guy that came to our meeting last night reminded me of this thing that I used to get so angry about. I would hear people in the meeting say, you know, wow, that was a really awesome meeting. I'm going back again. And they would show up with an empty car. You know, the meeting is so great that they're coming by themselves. You know, and last night that guy brought nine people over there with him to that meeting. Because he said that when he came that first time, he was really grateful and he thought that was a good meeting. You know, if you are going to some bomb meetings, try to take another alcoholic with you every once in a while um, and share it. Above everything, I must be rid of this selfishness. You know, wow. Um there's situations I can walk away from that I know are all about selfishness, you know, and uh, God makes that possible. You know, if I can continue with the rest of the work and I can see what's going on, sometimes there are clearly situations that I can step away from because I know full well that I'm only out for me, you know, and uh, that's been happening and it's just really a beautiful thing. You know, these new people around here, you know, I don't want to go back to how you feel about what the hell you're thinking about. I don't want to go back to it. You know, and I'm not trying to talk down to anybody. This is a, I heard my friend on the, the tape, uh, I was just listening to him. He said that he wishes uh, that new people have no hope, you know, so you can find some when you get here. And uh, he's talking about that desperation. And all I'm sharing is desperate, honest, willing people do not leave Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, uh, dishonest, arrogant, pompous, selfish people never do well here. Ever. Even in the process of trying to get to the other personality I just described. 
In other words, the whole time where I'm trying to get to that honesty, I'm usually miserable all the way over there. You know, and uh, I, I'm just grateful, you know. Uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love the people that, you know, show up here, and like I said earlier, just, you know, dealing with way worse stuff than I had going on in my life, and they keep coming back to this work and what we're supposed to be doing for each other. You know, um, it's a beautiful thing, newcomer. Uh, one of my secrets that I that I have in regards to not giving up is, uh, you know, trying to find people who I personally, and I know this may sound opinionated, I mean, I'm almost done, hell, if you haven't figured out that I'm opinionated, you haven't been listening. Uh, but one of the things I notice is I try to find people that really are trying to really do this stuff. And the way that I know that is by what I had to do when I was really trying and really willing to do it. I can only transmit what I have. You know, and I know it may sound kind of, you know, weird, but I really do try to find people that really do want this stuff. Because that's what page 96 tells me. That there's people really, there really are, I mean, after the rehab, after, you know, the mommy card or the court card, there's people who really, really are trying to find a way out of that hell. That's what they were going to call the book, A Way Out. And, uh, you know, there really are people, and, and it seems like when I'm open and willing to do this stuff, you know, then I do get a chance to meet men and women like that who I don't even have to sponsor. You know, I just have to start forging a relationship with them. Because it's easier for me to stay sober when I'm hanging out with people who want to be sober. You know, it's really hard to stay sober with people that always want to get loaded, even in sobriety. And uh, I've learned that uh, that I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. And, and every once in a while, I do get an opportunity to really want to engage somebody else's life. You know, most of the stuff that I'm afraid of and most of the stuff that I know I want is probably uh, all make-believe anyway. And when I'm really talking to somebody and, I, and I'm really sharing experiences from that book, it, it does feel really real. That's why in the book it says it works. It really does, you know. And uh, I was afraid of that. And today I'm, I'm willing to bear witness of it. You know, I was, you know, I was swamped by peer pressure. People saying, you know, uh, you're not really all that bad. I mean, come on now. You know, and stuff like that. And, 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 and that was after I'd been here for a couple of years. You know, and so I'm encouraged by seeing people who really start seeing what we have and they're trying to get it, you know. That's, it's so enlightening because sometimes it gets a little boring. And that boredom, of course, is myself sitting this. I called my sponsor and I, this is, I'm bored. I told him, I'm just bored with this stuff. He said, DeAndre, that's because you're boring. You know, and I'm not boring today, you know, uh, to me. I may be boring to you, but that's your stuff. And I know today that Alcoholics Anonymous is more than just cleaning up old scrapes and, you know, trying to make people feel good about me. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous for me is a way of life. You know, and uh, I, I just, I just uh, saw, I saw a guy. I just want to convey something. I, I saw a guy not too many years ago. I was telling Paul about this. You know, he was on this truck. Uh, I was walking one of my clients, and he was on this moving truck. And he looked at me and he's like, "DeAndre, is that you?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's me." At first, I thought it was somebody, you know, because he was black and I old amends and stuff. And then I said, oh, yeah, it's me. And he said, yeah, I was in rehab with you. We were in Warm Springs together. And I remember this guy had left early. Some girl picked him up, and he left the rehab early. And I said, yeah, how you doing? And he said, well, you know, I'm hanging in there. How are you? you? You know, and I said, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm in the program still. And his eyes got the size of a silver dollar. It's like, you're still in AA? You're still in the program? And I had about 15, 16 years when this happened. And I said, yeah, I haven't left since the rehab, since I got out of treatment. I've still been sober. And it looked like he had, like, his eyes got a little watery. 
Like he couldn't believe, and I, I, I don't, I wasn't really having a very good day that day. I was complaining about something in here. And when I saw the look on his face, like he realized, man, you haven't been loaded all that time. He said that he had been in and out. He would get some time and he would go in and he would go out. And of course, you know me, I gave him my number and the guy never called me. <laughs> but my point is just like, you know, how often I take my sobriety for granted. And I, and I start thinking like, oh, I've always lived like this. And it's just such a dishonest, foolish lie. I am sober strictly and only by the grace of God. You know, uh, by only by the grace of God, you know. Do I stand here? I was talking to my friend today. He's coming. He'll be three years in December and he left out that room. I just, it dawned on me. He's like, wow, that's, that's really long for him. You know, I see that in other people today. You know, that this, this is really cool. You know, they used to call it dipsomania. You know, they used to lock us up, you know, and hide the key because some weird Al-Anon without a program would let us out. But but, but they, they didn't really know what to do with us. And now I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and people that are totally different from me, from a totally different background, because I hear these rehab rules about, you know, find somebody you totally relate to. The only people I could relate to when I got here was whores and thieves. You know, I needed to get with some guys I didn't understand. Like, how do you keep a job for two weeks? You, you mean you shower daily, not every three days when you can get into your mama's house? And then, you know, I needed to meet people who were doing something different than me. Me coming here and just hooking up with people who I would have liked to have drank with, uh, it's not going to keep me sober. And I, and I met those different men and women. I met those people who were like really involved with this stuff. You know, and I'm really grateful for that, you know. Um, give yourself a chance, newcomer. Find some weirdo that totally talks about stuff that you cannot relate to at all, but it would probably benefit you if you did it. You know, find those people. They are here. I know they are. You know, um, I don't go anywhere for this amount of time if I don't find what I really need whether I'm insane or sober. And uh, there's some real stuff here. And I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.